In the first episode of their podcast, two dudes used crude microphones and outdated methods of recording to spawn their pilot episode. Then, many episodes later, fans from the great states of Idaho and California fought to see who would emerge as the number one fan of that podcast. The dudes, expressing thoughts separate from their commanders and using words not suitable for children, Search the stars for their next topic. And now, with alien invasion movies made decades apart, comes Mars Attacks the World! Welcome, welcome everyone to two. <laughs> I heard you say welcome. <laughs> I, you know why I do that? I do that so I can keep track and try to align things. I do it every episode. I know, but I, I never hear you say it, and this is this is the first time I've heard it, and I'm like, <laughs> it just it just threw me off. It was funny. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> <clears throat> Welcome to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two movies, and that's uh, you know, that's about it. Um, I am Dude One, Richard. Dude Two, Joe, over here. Sounding crispy as always. By the way, guys, we are recording this on Dude One's birthday. The day we're recording <sighs> this, not the day we're uploading this, is Richard's birthday. <laughs> I want to give him a very, very dudely Happy birthday. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is very nice of you. Troy. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- I do. That is I, that is nice of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. How was your day, though? I mean, you could probably guess I did birthday things today, but how was your day? My day was pretty good, actually, for the most part. It, it was one of those days where I had it mostly to myself you know towards the end of the day i got to watch show my girlfriend allison uh scott pilgrim versus the world she rather enjoyed it and then i'm recording this with you now shout out to allison shout out to allison who wished me a happy birthday on facebook which was nice of her i got to binge a good chunk of the gamera franchise because arrow video released this colossal gigantic humongous collection of Every single Gamera film on Blu-ray, altogether, huge set. So you're saying it's big? It's big. <laughs> it's a big boy, as they say. Yeah, you know how big, like, the Godzilla set? It, like, the Godzilla set, you're like, it's like a, it looks like a coffee table book, kind of, a little bit, you know? Oh. Gamera is probably as tall, or almost as tall, and really, really, just, as to quote Aku, extra thick! Oh, oh, that sounded that sounded kind of dirty, <laughs> Joey. What kind of? Sh- Good thing we have the disclaimer at the beginning. <laughs> like, dang, son! It was on car- it was on Cartoon Network, guys. Calm down, calm I down. Mean, it was on Cartoon, Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network has Adult Swim. I'm just saying, <laughs> it's that late night stuff. The difference is when, when Samurai Jack aired. It was on the Cartoon Network portion, and now it's retro. Now it's retroactively Adult Swim, but you know yeah, enough yeah. of that. Gamera, Gamera. For those of you who don't know, is a giant turtle who flies around 
is the guardian of the universe, but also friend to all children. I would not have him near my children after that description. The best way I can describe Gamera, after the way you just put that, <laughs> he's like the kaiju Superman. That's you know what? That's a lot better than friend of all children because it just. <laughs> well, that's that's that is like the moniker, and he has his own song where kids are singing, and it's it's like every movie. There's a kid who's like, "Oh no, we got to run away from Gamera," and the other kid's like, "Nah, man, Gamera is our friend." Oh, okay. That just makes it worse. <laughs> I'm just like, does he have a van? Does he like, hey kids, come on in? Nah, I'm sorry. It's just that's just the first thought that came. In. I'm like, oh no, man, nothing is sacred. Nope, not anymore. Watch out, camera, we're coming for you. I do remember you talking about those movies, and you watched like the first batch of them, and to my understanding, they kind of ranged from like awful to like okay, and he didn't and. Uh, to my not, I know one of them. I know you really like just for the sheer ridiculousness of it. Yeah, that's the thing with Gamera. Is look, is it very much clearly something that was made just to cash in on Godzilla's success? Of course it was. Of course it was. You know, so uh, I appreciate them for the weird and wacky monster designs. Like Richard, there's a monster who whose head is literally just a knife, and his head throws shurikens. I, I remember you showing me this and thinking, you know, that's pretty wild. But then I thought of Pacific Rim because there's literally a kaiju in that called Knifehead. Yeah, actually, it's really funny, too, because you think like Pacific Rim, you'd think that the closest thing would be like Godzilla. But honestly, watching like the Gamera films, I feel like the kaiju in Pacific Rim owe a lot more to the Gamera antagonists, honestly, in some ways. Really? Yeah, I think because, like, the way... The, not that to say that the Toho designs weren't wacky, because they are pretty wacky. I mean, have you seen mm -hmm. Gigan, for crying out loud? Uh, shout out yeah. to Mike, Mike, number one Gigan fan. Love you. Love you. But, basically, with the, the they are very strange designs in Gamera. Like I said, there's, like, the one that has, like, a knife for a head. And one of my favorite ones, which is in one of the weaker movies, is basically this giant, like, shark swordfish thing. And it looks awesome, but it, when it stands up, it's so silly. Oh man! A, wait, a, a, a shark? It's almost like a tongue twister. A shark swordfish thing that stands up. That stands. Okay, I think I can get behind that. <laughs> Maybe. And then the last one in like the oh, like the the I guess the quote unquote like classic era or whatever before the nineties was basically like a clip show where they had like these superhero ladies and Gamera is it's like a best of like Gamera fights a bunch of like his famous like antagonists at the end spoiler alert he sacrifices himself against like this like uh rip off star destroyer to save the universe basically <laughs> so it was like a sitcom se series finale when all the characters are like leaving the house and then they just turn the lights off and it's like silent you just pull back and you just see the creator of the show. Pretty much. Pretty much. Like, remember that time in the living room when you threw a pie at my face? And I and because of that, I couldn't go out on a date. But after that one, I got to watch the first of the, the famous Gamera trilogy from the 90s. And I had always heard a lot of very good things about it. But let me tell you, I was not prepared for how, good, how much I enjoyed Gamera 
the Guardian of the Universe. I don't know if there's the in the title. I know Guardian of the Universe is there. Regardless, it was really a lot of fun. And I've heard that they get there as good, if not better, as they get along, as they go along in the series. So I'm very I'm very much looking forward to watching Gamera 2 and 3 as well. You five starred that son of a gun on uh, Letterboxd, and I saw that, and I was just like, I I was not expecting that, like I because I, I you said you liked it, but I didn't I didn't know you five star liked oh, it, so I was like, dude, wow. I think my my thing is like too with like a giant monster movie, you know, you got to do a couple things right, at least in my book. One, monster battles got to be really good, and the monster battles are really good. B, if you're redesigning monsters for a new generation, they got to look really good. Let me tell you, Gamera looks great, mm-hmm. great, and I think Gauss. I, I've heard it pronounced like several thousand different ways, but Gauss looks terrifying. Goose, Goose, the Goose, like Ryan Gosling. I was thinking of Top Gun. Uh, Gauss looks terrifying, <laughs> and I actually like the human characters. The human characters. I'm not saying any of them are like you know. Oh, we get like. A Shakespearean tragedy depth. No, they're they're likable characters. That's all you need. They're well played, and I think that there's some allegory stuff going on with the movie, especially like with pollution and the way we treat our planet, and lo- all this ideas of like lost continents and some spiritualism aspects to it. But it's like a 95 minute movie, and it, it's able to fit a lot of that stuff in without feeling you know like too much is going on. So, yeah, Gamera, the Guardian of the Universe, really good time. But what I I, I knew, I, I, I know one thing you're just, just dying to talk about right now. You're dying to talk about <laughs> a little thing that happened at DC Fandome, the Batman. Uh, I mean, I, I, I thought you were going to say uh, how much I wanted to talk about the Snyder Cut. <laughs> just hallelujah. <laughs> I still get PTSD. <laughs> You know, you know, <laughs> it's a if, trailer. if you thought, if, if I thought you weren't going to call back, I, I think I would have just left. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? I'm glad you didn't suspect that. <laughs> Man, I don't but, know what no, they were um, thinking with that. Sorry, not to harp on the. No, you know what? I will say briefly on the Snyder Cut thing, because I, I feel like I got to mention it anyway, because we mentioned DC Fandom. There, uh, admittedly, I will still watch it. I'm excited yeah. and interested to see what Zack Snyder did, and I'm very, you know, it's it's definitely cool that he finally got his chance to tell his version of the movie. There's no questioning that. Absolutely. That being said, Uh-oh. for all the cool little shots and news shots and very Snydery moments, like the Flash finally like getting his own scene, but of course it has to end with a car blowing up. Uh, we get that on the nose, Hallelujah song moment. That he used in Watchmen in one of the most awkward sex scenes in any movie. Just just to signify a character got an erection finally. And he decides to use it for the Snyder Cut trailer. It just just ruins the whole... Listen, you have Junkie XL doing the music again. Why not just use some of his score if you're going to do it? Like, I don't know. Anything would have been a better choice for that trailer than using the Hallelujah song, and it just kind of ruined it for me. I think I would have forgiven it if they had used a different co- a different version or a different cover of the song, but the fact that they used the same... I think both versions of the Le- exact Le- Leonard same. Cohen, right? Both... For, both Le- yeah, the, it's the exact same song. Wow. I wish I had, like... I could double down like Zack Snyder like that, but listen... On all seriousness, you know, because somebody's going to bring up, oh, you know, you're just you're just trying to diss Snyder. No, I really want to see the Snyder cut. As somebody who didn't care yes. for a lot of his DC stuff, I really want to see it. It's just 
that thing in the trailer was silly. But let's talk about something that we're pretty positive on, though. Let's okay. move on. Okay, let's let's move, move away right from along. This. Talk about the like you said, the thing I really did want to talk about, uh, the Batman trailer. We're both for sure Matt Reeves fans. I know you with the the Apes movies, War, especially War for the Planet of the Apes. Which you have such an emotional resonance for. Like anytime we talk about it, you're like, I don't know if I can watch this movie again. It's just, it just kills me emotionally. Man, uh, War, of the Planet, War for the Planet of the Apes is one of the best, like, best, like, endings to any trilogy ever. I will hear, I will hear nothing else on that subject. But anyway. You know what? I'm going to agree with you on that. Because, like, of all the, the great trilogies that we talk about in just regular life, whether it's Nolan's Batman trilogy or, or like even the Star Wars trilogy, typically the last one's the worst. Yeah, in most trilogy case, in most case with trilogies, absolutely. This one, the 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 last one was probably the best one. It's listen, you just go watch that movie when you get a second. <laughs> we watch the whole Apes trilogy, but that one especially will like wreck your soul. But one of the, my favorite things about Matt Reeves is that he's one of these directors that will elevate genre movies without totally stripping away the genre like as much as i love christopher nolan's take on batman at the same time i watch his movies and it looks like he kind of strips away a bit of the genre appeal to like a superhero or like a like a batman style movie there is it's it's very grounded visually like a as like a like a quote-unquote realistic movie especially with the last two in the trilogy i would say I would say watching, I rewatched Batman Begins not that long ago, and like, especially when you get to the third act of that movie, mm-hmm. I feel like it does get sort of like that elevated point, but I don't feel like we ever really get that again with the other two no. movies, but that's another story. And that's that's not a dig on those movies, that's just an observation, Yeah. whereas Matt Reeves, like, he keeps it there. Like, the Apes movies, you can definitely look at those without having seen them and go, yes, these are Planet of the Apes movies. There's apes riding on horses. They have war paint. It's it's definitely there. Granted, they're not wearing like suits of armor or anything like from the original movies, but they definitely have visually genre aspects to it. And he's also a very visual director. I like to think of him as the I hate to say talented J.J. Abrams because they're friends, and I don't want to be mean, but, <laughs> but it kind of feels like that a little bit. So I was just excited from the jump that he was doing a Batman movie with or without Ben Affleck. I didn't care. I was just like, I'm ready for this Matt Reeves Batman movie based on everything else that I've seen from his filmography. And just seeing that first trailer, this to me feels like the Batman movie I've been wanting forever. Like nothing against any of the other Batman movies because they all kind of vary from great to good to bad. But the one element that each one of them, save for, say, like, the animated Mask of the Phantasm, as far as, like, live-action Batman movies are concerned, all of them lack the simple notion that at the core of Batman's character, he is a genius-level detective. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get that story. So to have Matt Reeves putting that at the forefront, like, right at the center of the screen with this interpretation just based on what i've been hearing him say and also just watching the trailer the whole opening is a crime scene and batman investigating the crime scene with jeffrey wright commissioner gordon which is um just the casting alone is already amazing but just seeing that i was like yes oh yeah dude this this movie just it literally looks like exactly what i've been wanting for so long 
for a Batman movie, and it just, it brings tears to my eyes of pure excitement. I haven't actually been this excited for a Batman movie in a really long time. It looks really good. I'm always skeptical about another adaptation of something, just because, you know, I'm like, okay, what are you going to do now with something? But Batman is one of those characters where you can, you can do a whole lot with Batman, surprisingly enough, mm -hmm. which is amazing. I'm very excited for Jeffrey Wright as uh, Commissioner Gordon. He looks like Commissioner Gordon, which is pretty crazy. But uh, what's the Colin Farrell? Colin Farrell! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my dude! It took me so long. I had to. I had to see a tweet about it to actually realize that Colin Farrell's in this trailer. Like, where's the Oscar for best makeup already? <laughs> I mean, I, on one hand, that is some really impressive makeup. On the other hand, I really wanted sexy penguin. Well, you know. You, you give and you get. I mean, I know there's a million people. I've seen I've seen some of the other reactions. Like a lot of it's very positive. There are a lot of people who are and I and I get it that are kind of tired of the kind of dark, gritty portrayal that of Batman and like to see like a seven style mm. Batman movie. I get that, but I I'm on the mindset that I'm happy to 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 live in a in a point in my life where I can have both Will Arnett and the amazing Lego Batman movie. That is so funny, but also so Batman, but also making fun of Batman. And then I over here, I can have Robert Pattinson looking fantastic, by the way, with Matt Reeves in this seven style Batman movie. I'm just happy to have all this stuff and I feel spoiled. Well, I, I, honestly, you know, as far as that stuff's concerned, I haven't talked to my uncle about this yet because he's a huge, as you know, he's a huge Batman fan and he's been very excited and interested to see what they were going to do with this one. So I, I got to talk to him about that. But Batman, very excited, looks good. But you know what else? I don't know. I, I have the, There's no transition for that. <laughs> there's not really much of a transition. And we've already talked for a long time about these first two things. But um, I guess just I guess we'll just go outright say it. So this week on Two Dudes, One Double Feature, our first normal episode, kind of a season two a little bit. Just that, like, it was kind of a spur of the moment kind of idea. Uh, we want to talk about a couple of invasion movies like alien invasion type movies and the first one on the docket is war of the worlds from 1953 i don't know hold on <laughs> oh, that, like, we, that could be copywritten we don't know <laughs> L listen it's less than five seconds <laughs> they might have it's, it's me making it's me making the sound no i'm still afraid to do it <laughs> the one thing that you're scared to do you <laughs> what a wet noodle as far as copyright goes no war of the worlds <laughs> the war of the worlds of course based on the hg wells novel of the same name unless the novel is just called war of the worlds or is it called the war of the worlds I, I whatever who cares I, the doesn't matter to me the point is this was put out in 1953 quite a while ago and the war of the worlds has had several adaptations over the years but i would say this might be one of the two or three most famous adaptations and even just going into like more of a subcategory you could argue that this is the defining the prestige um alien invasion movie especially of the 50s like in that kind of era when they were all really like going for like the alien invasion. Because that was like during that time when people were just afraid of outer space in general. I mean, yeah, they're afraid of outer space. You know, of course, 
this movie, which I'll also get to with this, one of the other War of the Worlds adaptations, um, this movie is very much, you know, in a lot of ways, it is a Cold War War of the Worlds. It, it's very much of that time period. And one of the ways they do that is the original novel, if I, is that takes place like, is that like Victorian? Yeah. Um, England? Yeah. It, it takes place, it takes place in like the Victorian era in, uh, in England. Which is weird, given it's weird to think about, given like that all these invasion movies that I know we've grown up on and have seen various versions of, typically aliens just like attacking America or New York City. I, <laughs> I rarely ever see aliens like blow up Big Ben unless it's like in a montage. Like we're gonna listen, we're done with America. I hear there's other things. <laughs> it, it, yeah, that is actually an interesting point. That all a lot of these adaptations of War of the Worlds, they kind of just make it into like that into whatever time period that they are being made in like and they can also often reflect like the the paranoias and the subconscious fears of that generation mm -hmm. so for example with war of the worlds we're thinking about like the cold war a bit you know and, and all of that stuff or with the Orson Welles one, that was 1938, I believe, when they did the infamous radio broadcast of the War of the Worlds, and that one is done as, like, a mock news report. And people thought that was real. There were some people that thought that was real. Some of that is, like, a little, like, embellished, okay. I will I will say, but it, there were some folks, like, on one of the bonus features, they're talking about how there were some people who were, you know, they recall their grandparents being genuinely terrified of what was going on. And part of that was because 1938, we weren't uh, that far off from world war two. Right. And yeah. people had a lot of pre-war jitters and they were terrified. We were going to get ourselves into another, uh, global conflict. And then of course, the other one I think about too, is the 2000, was it 2005 war of the worlds with Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, uh, 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. I think I saw that one in theaters. I did too, and I remember as a kid, I just did not like that movie. I thought it was it was too it was an overwhelming <laughs> experience, and I think, but part of that was because, again, as I say, a lot of these War of the Worlds adaptations are very much films of their time, reflecting on yes. the fears that we have at that time. War of the Worlds two thousand five or whatever the hell year it was <laughs> is very much a post nine eleven movie. Oh, without a doubt, especially just with the uh, the way the destruction is, and just the way like the characters uh, react to how everything happens. I think even just like the small detail of having one of the characters be a Yankees fan, I think. Oh, well, but like, I think, didn't they live in New York city even like, uh, like Tom Cruise and his family. Again, I haven't seen it since theaters. And I think part of that is because I'm like, this was too much. It was too much for me as a kid just to, cause that, that was one of my, you know, nine 11 was one of my early, you know, early life memories. Now with war of the worlds, of course, we have to talk about the special effects Listen, visual and sound. Listen, the special effects alone is what was kind of the same. Admittedly, it was the saving grace a bit for this movie and why I ended up liking it as much as I did. Because even though there are there are obviously dated special effects, they're so they're so fun to seeing like the little models of like the like like weird like um, I don't even know what shape you would call that like weird like they kind of look like the bean from Chicago with like. <laughs> 
with like with like a desk lamp from Pixar on top of it, and they're shooting rays at like buildings and blowing it up. It's amazing. And yeah, no, those designs are very iconic in their own right. And but the other funny thing is too, we th- we think of War of the Worlds, we think of like the tripods, right? You yeah, they always talk about the tripods. This movie doesn't ha- doesn't really have no. Those. They have like saucers because it would have been difficult to do to have like the legs move. And actually, that goes to uh, the special effects in this movie, too. For a very long time, the pe- people who viewed this movie thought this was like a like the special effects were cheap, mm-hmm. which was the complete opposite of that. The movie won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects back in the 50s. Oh, wow. But the prints, the prints for these movies were atrocious, <laughs> and they exposed a lot of the wiring, wire work and, and the mat work and all that, and it just was not really good looking which is why this 4k restoration is so beautiful and so integral and important uh for this movie and it really restores like the beauty i I was just and i'm somebody who watches a lot of older films Mm -hmm. but seeing the special effects in this movie really in a way like knocked my socks off um and and this is also coming too from i'm a huge ray harryhausen fan yes and at one point he really wanted to do war of the worlds at one point and there there is actually test footage of like war of the worlds like stop motion animation with one of the aliens and i'm like oh man if only i could just peek my head into that alternate reality that would just be... take a look well, what they did with this movie is is nothing short of astonishing as far as visual effects and it really really that movie came to define really what we think of as far as like these alien invasion movies you know you have like the the, the t- cities getting destroyed you know the the hovering craft and and all this other stuff. Just the the devastation of itself. I mean, when you get later into the movie, all these characters, especially like the main character, just roaming around, and like there's people like just on the street with signs, just like their houses got blown up, and he's like, "What do we do? What do we like?" The sense of hopelessness, which which tends to come towards the end of a lot of invasion movies, like you said, it translates uh, into all these other movies because like everybody just. It's like you said. It's I'm just repeating pretty much what you said. This, I'm just like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but like, like I, I think the the difference maybe is that like some of the movies that we like, as far as like that we grew up on, like alien invasion movies. I guess they more kind of reflect movies like Independence Day. It's funny to think that like we look at these movies now as these really like poor special effects kind of like cheesy movies from the 50s. You know, they almost feel like novelty items. And then we look at like something like modern invasion movies like Independence Day or even like Man of Steel, which is technically made as an invasion movie. Yeah. Made to be these like big budget special effects type movies. And then we have movies like Arrival. Which is so different from any other invasion movie. I guess it's interesting to see how we go from War of the Worlds all the way. This might be an end, this an end comment really, but it's interesting to see how we go from that movie all the way to a movie like Arrival. Like the evolution is just interesting. I also want to just go back briefly to the the technical aspects of this movie. Um, the sound design is also very much very impressive, um, particularly with like the heat rays. In this, like, they used, like, electric guitars, which mm-hmm. for back in 1953, that was a very new um, concept. And, you know, so to u- utilize that and that had become, like, a defining thing to where it did get occasionally reused, you know, a bunch of times in, right. in uh, different pieces of media and people would refer, call back to it and, and all that is just, it just shows you, like, the, the level of just profound 
just profound influence that this film has had over a specific um, genre and, and subgenre, you know. You can't help but think of Back to the Future in that example, though, just because, you know, there's that whole scene at the end of the dance when uh, he plays Johnny Be Good. And he's he's just like rocking on a on an electric guitar. He's just shredding licks like crazy. And then everyone in the auditorium yes. just going, "What is happening?" <laughs> they probably <laughs> thought they're about to get raid or something. I just that's the first thing I thought of when you were like electric guitars. I'm like, you know what? Back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing when I saw the the movie with you, we were listening to like the sound effects. The first thing I thought of was like those those cheap like plastic ray gun toys that they would have in the toy store. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't. It's not even like a brand item. It's just a random toy that a company made because they're like, hey, let's sell this. Yeah, you could like get those at like Rite Aid or like any sort of like pharmacy or dollar store. Right. Literally, you walk in anywhere like a, like a like a like you were saying, like a pharmacy, and you just see this, like, like it's it's typically got, like, a red dome on it that's, like, kind of looks like the top of a cupcake or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it has, like, sparks in it and just goes, like, <laughs> that sound effect might be copyrighted. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I only laugh all this time because I see your face and it makes me laugh. <laughs> Just off topic, the only other thing that I would say about the movie that is like, I guess, somewhat resonant to me that, you know, we talk about the movie is a product of its time period. Sure. And the one, the one thing that I admittedly in this, I don't know, this might get controversial, but the one thing that admittedly kind of not ruined the movie, but made me like it a lot less than I probably would have was the ending of the movie. I agree with you a hundred percent. Honestly, the ending it, it feels so strange uh, to me because you think about like how how much of a classic this is, how how profound its influence, you know, it it, mm-hmm. it constantly gets referenced, and for it to what to to end that way is is quite um, weird. It's almost kind of a letdown in some ways. It's one thing because like I feel like and I have never read the book, but I feel like. It's one thing to just end it with the the aliens having breathed in, you know, the illnesses of of Earth and have it end that way. And then, you know, then it just feels like a kind of an anticlimactic ending. But to add the kind of other elements to it, like the like the the I guess the religious elements to it, it just makes it feel weird and like almost like a propaganda kind of feel to it. Like the only thing that can save us is Jesus or something well, you know well yeah because again we're thinking about that that time period you know the cold the cold war mm-hmm. and you know you think about you know our our relationship with democracy and religion and all these other things and having that bit might have played a lot differently back in 1953. Oh, for sure. It definitely plays differently than today. So I think that it's actually interesting because I don't think we've really had quite had a film like that where, okay, like it's easy to say like, okay, maybe Batman's suit looks outdated or like maybe the CGI on this thing doesn't look great, but we've never usually tackled something where like a whole like concept of an ending or like the theme of something might, might feel strange and foreign to us as some, as viewers from 2020. You get, you get what I mean? I see what you mean. I mean, obviously, I feel like a lot of movies from back in the day will just play differently 
to a lot. I mean, I think there's even examples to a, from a, maybe a more extreme degree in movies from the 80s or 90s. You know, we watch them and like just maybe some of the jokes like uh, Bill and Ted, for example, is one of those movies that, you know, obviously has a lot of love. People love those movies. There's a new one coming out. But uh, in both the first and the second one, and you can call this a product of the 80s, you can call it the product of whatever time period, but in both those movies, there are clearly homophobic jokes in them. Mm-hmm. And at like obviously back then it seemed like okay. Right. Now we look at that and we say that's not okay. Not to say that the way that War of the Worlds ends is offensive, but it just it's it's definitely rings differently to a modern audience versus say when it initially came out. Yeah, no, I totally totally agree um agree with that. As I just I just remember like <laughs> I just remember the like when that ending came up and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" And then, and then, then, then they did the bacteria thing, and I was like, "Okay." But then they said the bacteria was created by God, and I was like, "Come on, don't don't backpedal." Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but again, if this offends you, me saying this, I do apologize. It's not my intention. That's just my opinion on it. And and listen, listen. Nothing we say about it here will really ultimately affect its legacy in the long run because we still get alien invasion movies yeah this is still one of the most influential films of all time i mean at, in 2011 it was added to the national film registry for being like a, a significant american film and it, it truly it's truly one of those movies that definitely belongs in there because when i think of like a movie i, I think when i think of like great movies i think of great movies that sort of in a way define their time or even define their genre. I don't know. It's just like they're these thing, these cornerstones of our culture. And I think War of the Worlds is definitely one of those things, despite our problems with the second half of the narrative. <laughs> no, I, I, I could definitely agree with that. Uh, there's no doubt that the movie deserves its place in history. But, you know, again, it just it's the same for every other movie that you know, again, deserves it's because of how influential or how impactful or whatever. But that it's but it's weird to think about that too, just because you you hear about these movies, then you watch it, and then you see like a moment like that, and you and you go, wow, like it like it doesn't like you get why it's impactful, but it doesn't mean you like end up loving it. You know what I mean? I I wanted to bring this up and speak because we mentioned Orson Welles earlier. It's like when I showed you Citizen Kane. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, do you want to get into this real quick or do you want to make this a whole episode? This is up to you. Well, you know, I mean, again, just to go over it briefly, Citizen Kane, as I'm sure a lot of you listeners know, is, is often regarded as one of, if not the greatest movie of all time. You see it on like every top 10 list oh, at yeah. least. I mean, it was on sight and sounds list for like number one on their list for many decades until Vertigo in, uh, 2012, but I showed it to you a couple a couple years back, you know, and you weren't like you weren't in love with it. I hated the ending. And ultimately, <laughs> wow, it's actually more similar. <laughs> it's more similar to War of the Worlds than I expected. <laughs> it's 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 a little similar. I will say briefly, just Citizen Kane. It was one of those movies that I'd wanted to see. I had a million chances to see, even just having a film theory class in college that started off the, the the courses with that movie i missed that day and so i never got to watch the movie <laughs> 
until eventually you were like, we're going to watch this movie. Cause I told you about that. And you're like, we're going to change that because you're a fan of the movie. And I sat there and I watched it with you. And the whole time I'm just like, okay, it's interesting. I like that shot. Okay. Rosebud. This is a pretty significant thing. This Rosebud. What is Rosebud? What is this? How is this amount to the sled? Because I already know it's going to be the sled. What's the sled? And then they just say, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe I just don't get it. I don't know. I just was. I just hated the ending. I, I think with a film like Citizen Kane, and I think with other films, I think you should really watch it more than once. But ultimately, you know, I think, I think, I think that, I think that illustrates the point that just because something is is highly regarded and is part of our cultural, you know, cultural um, conversations and all that, doesn't necessarily mean it's always the most entertaining experience. If it's on, a, if it, if it's a movie that's on like the top ten list of whether the greatest movies or greatest sci-fi movies in the world, and you watch it and you don't like it, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I always I, with any of these things, I just ultimately say, just like you, okay, you you don't like something, that's fine. Just I, I think it's important with a lot of these things to understand. Okay, well, why why did this have such an impact? Why, after all these years, are we still re- like referring to or, or almost quoting this movie as far as like alien invasion? movies are ultimately concerned so the war of the worlds i don't know if i'd recommend it to a, a modern audience strictly it, it, it time commit what commitment wise it's only 85 minutes i think it's not that bad it's not that bad. so it's a short watch plus the criterion blu-ray is amazing honestly really a great disc just the colors alone i love the color green so that's a win enough for me visually aesthetically speaking there you have it folks and that's that's gonna wrap it up on our thoughts on the War of the Worlds. We're going to continue our conversation on alien invasions when we come back from our brief, brief intermission. Stay tuned. change it up a little bit (laughs) i wanted it to be nice i hope that was tranquil for you i hope that was nice and welcoming and and comfortable i just hit my microphone stand and my fingers a little okay we're good now anyway welcome back to two dudes one double feature uh so we just talked about war of the worlds from 19 53 and continuing 
our talk of invasion movies i'm actually kind of excited because as you know as i've mentioned before i never get i never really get the chance to show you movies and it's it's kind of it's kind of a sad thing admittedly because like you show me so many movies and while i love it i love i love when you show me movies because i i get to like expand Mm -hmm. my uh you know my catalog of movies and i get to find new things that i enjoy but I just there's times I would love to show you things, but it just never ends up happening. So when it does, when the opportunity gets to come, regardless of how you feel about the movie or how I think you're going to feel about the movie, I just get so excited. So <laughs> this was definitely one of those instances when I got to show you from 1996 the Tim Burton film Mars Attacks. <laughs> Joey, I told you, stop, it could be coming. Dude, it's me making a mouth noise. They, 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 it's not going to matter. We don't know. Disney could own that. Have you checked if there's a Disney trademark in your mouth? <laughs> Jeez Louise. <laughs> Listen, Bob Chapek, do not come after me for making alien sound effects. Disney don't own that. Hold on, my phone's ringing. Yeah? No, I promise you won't do it again. I, I, I swear to you, you won't do it again. Okay. Uh, Joey, uh, could you do me a favor and never do that again? I will do you a favor and actually get this episode on the move. <laughs> Mars Attacks, as you said, 1996, <laughs> right? Directed by Tim Burton, you know, starring a cast of thousands. A cast of thousands. Listen, the cast in this movie, just this, just from the jump, this movie's got, like, name after name after name and like just to start off jack nicholson this is his this is his return with tim after batman you know he clearly loved working with him on that movie and so he had to work with him again and i i i love the fact that he's in this movie he plays two roles we got uh michael j fox pierce brosnan sarah jessica parker annette benning uh danny devito Tom Jones, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Pam Greer, freaking Pam Greer. Uh, we get uh, who else? Natalie. Yeah, did you mention there's, Natalie there's, Portman? There's so did you mention Natalie Portman? Freaking pre Padme, Natalie Portman. So she's like a little 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 thing. So pre Padme, Natalie Portman, and the dude from Inception that ruined the job and had to get killed by Ken Watanabe in this movie. And he's also in the Black Parade music video, not the Beyonce one, the My Chemical Romance one, but that's a whole other thing. Point is, he's Jack in it. Black? Jack Black. Jack Black? Christina Applegate? Martin Short? The list is so long and I love it. Yeah, it actually, it, I know, like, we were, we were talking about this off camera, like, Independence Day was the other movie that came out, 1996, alien invasion movie, very different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of the people weren't, like, huge movie stars in Independence Day when you compare it to this, especially because this has Jack Nicholson, and we're talking about 1996. Mm-hmm. I was actually amazed that both were, like, yeah, both had, like, the, the cast of thousands approach where there's you follow a bunch of different storylines in both of those movies where you see it from the government perspective, the military, you see it from... You know Jim Brown in like his Egyptian outfit perspective, <laughs> and the uh, the the kids that play their video games. It's it's all these different uh, all these different varying uh, viewpoints. Where I feel like I've th- I was thinking about those two kids, right? 
were doing the like, who were do, like doing the shoot 'em ups or whatever. I was like, one of them is Ray J, who yeah, I don't, I think he does music, and I know he's famous for another thing. I don't want to talk about because uh, mm-hmm. you know it's that I've said enough gross things. And then the other one, the the only thing I remember him from is playing young Michael Jordan in Space Jam. <laughs> what a nice. great career that kid had. Let me just, let's just say. Anyway, what you were saying? I was saying I was like thinking about those two kid those those two kids where I'm like, man, it would actually be kind of amusing just to have those kids like they they grew up playing video games and then an alien invasion happens. And I mean, and there's been like plots like that where kids like, oh, I get right. thrust into this situation or whatever. But I'm like, man, can you imagine a whole movie where two kids are protecting like Jack Nicholson as the president? <laughs> oh, dude, I just still love that bit when like all everyone else is running. They just pick up a ray gun that they found and they're just like blowing all the aliens away. It's like, what are you gawking at? Get that president out of here. <laughs> dude, that was amazing. That was one of my favorite scenes in the movie that, that was so good and then just glenn close looking up go oh yeah glenn close is in this movie i totally forgot her i'm so sorry you know fun fact i got to see uh glenn close uh perform sunset boulevard live oh that's nice when she, they did the revival did she get a, sh- a chandelier falling on her at all at any point no don't care <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding but that sounds cool honestly uh but yeah going like huge cast in this movie right like it's actually kind of wild how many people are really in this movie but the main reason why, why why are we talking about this movie well it's an alien invasion movie and very much because tim burton in addition to being a filmmaker is a huge fan of a lot of these like you know genre things and like mm-hmm. ray harryhausen and some of those like those movies from the 50s and and whatnot and this movie there's a lot of sequences where i i look in my head i'm like yeah this feels like the bit the somewhat bigger budget version of that sequence like i think about the nighttime sequences where like you know things are getting destroyed in vegas or whatever like the color palette that they use the, the cinematography and everything just looks like it looks like that 50s like era yeah you know in color i mean I, the whole the whole premise of the the whole like basis of the movie is based on these tops baseball card well not baseball like tops trading cards that back back in that time period came out were super controversial because they depicted the aliens doing super graphic things and even just the image of the alien that with like kind of skull face and the big brain there was like violence there was nudity there was all types of these things um that obviously people of that time period just were like no like and kids loved them obviously because they were just like crazy and wild tim burton being a fan of those obviously I don't know if you've ever seen any of these baseball cards, but they are wild. <laughs> They're genuinely like insane. Uh, I have not. You'll have to you'll have to look one up someday, just to because this movie, like this movie, feels toned down in some degree to what the cards actually depict. Yeah, I actually never knew that they were based off of the those trading cards until the opening credits came on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Yeah, no, it's it's crazy, and like the whole the whole '50s aesthetic, because like like I said, this came out in the '90s with Independence Day and Independence Day wanted to be this like super serious like super high like big budget blockbuster tonally serious movie whereas mars attacks was the complete opposite it was kind of a satire of movies like war of the worlds where the aliens the aliens are literally mocking the humans the entire time in this movie 
and like the majority of them are so are so unlikable. Oh yeah. There's like maybe two or three characters that are actually decent people, whereas everybody else is just kind of awful. But it's kind of part of the fun a little bit. It is entertaining when you can see when you can see all those people. Like some of them are just are just horrible people, or like they have the, like spineless. Like I think about the one military dude who gets zapped, and I'm like, man, he's such like a like a wet noodle. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about? The guy at the beginning that's like so excited to meet that he's like yes he's like on the phone with somebody just like yes it's such an honor to meet the martian ambassador oh i knew i knew if i just like yes yes (laughs) if i knew i just kept quiet and never actually did anything things would come through (laughs) can can i just say who i like i hated the most i think was pierce brosnan who i think might arguably give the best performance dude he's so good but he's so you hate him so much (laughs) and and he just happens to be the scientist character so you're like you think he'd be the smart one but it's he's the stupidest guy he's got his stupid pipe the whole time i love it oh my gosh yeah and oh Man, who who else? like he he was very good in this movie. And you were saying this to me too that Michael J Michael this was Michael J Fox's like last like live action movie appearance. Yeah, I didn't know that cuz like this obviously Michael J Fox has had a, you know, a really great career and then unfortunately due to Parkinson's he had to step away and uh you know, hopefully, you know, work on himself and you know, he's done a lot of great things uh in general. But it's interesting to note that uh, this was actually his last like live action appearance in a movie because he's done voice work. I think after that, because he, I think he, I think wasn't Stuart Little. Stuart Little, and I think Atlantis was post. Wasn't Atlantis in like two thousand? Atlantis was two thousand one. Yeah, I think two thousand one, early two thousand, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he did. He's done like voice work and animated work, but it's interesting to note that he. This was his last theatrical release, and he was, and and he does such a great job because he's so petty. He plays this. He plays this uh, news anchor who I think I think he's dating Sarah Jessica Parker's character, who's a super successful like like uh, View type or like Wendy Williams type maybe like uh, I don't want like talk show like talk show host person. like uh, I guess a, a YouTuber in in a in a in a nineties sense in a way, and she's super successful and she's getting all these calls and she's getting all these interviews with like super important people and all and all M- Michael J. Fox's character could say that the whole thing is, why didn't we get that call? They should have been talking to us. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's clearly one of those guys in a relationship with someone more successful than him, but he just can't stand it. It's, it's horrible, but it's, it's so great in the movie. But speaking of of horrible people, I think we I, I this is going to be brought up anyway. I think we have to address not just the one Jack Nicholson, but the two Jack Nicholsons in this movie and how it kind of relates. Yes. A little bit too close to home as far as modern examples are concerned. I'll let you take this one. <laughs> I'm just going to say I don't want to start too much of anything. I just want to say that Jack Nicholson's like one one character is of course the president and the other character is like starting a casino is like a casino guy or he's like whatever. he's like building you know? a, a hotel casino in in Vegas or something. Oh yeah, he's yeah, a scumbag. Yeah. And I might think of uh, our our current um our current leader as of um August twenty third, twenty twenty. Kids, if you don't know who that that is, ask your parents. <laughs> Yeah, it does very very much reminds me of of that person. Does his name rhyme with dump? 
I can neither confirm <laughs> nor deny this. And this joke is probably going way too long. I cannot point comment is, on that. Point is, <laughs> po- I, I, the, but speaking of like hitting too close to home, one of my favorite moments ever was when we were watching this. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of this is kind of wacky. And you're like, oh no, dude! If this was 2020, the beginning of this was only uh, January, February. <laughs> yes, yes. And then when everybody gets ki- starts getting killed, he's like, this is March. This is March. This is totally that? March right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is so accurate. It's, it's, another, it's seriously, it's seriously one of those movies that just I feel like every movie now, and I know we've talked about this to to death, but it's so true. Every movie I've watched. One one way or another has made me think of 2020, and, and not in not in a good way. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just all the decisions that the politicians and everyone that are making, in in regards to how to handle the Martian invasion. You have like that one guy that says, "Just destroy them already, kill them all," and then like you have everybody else going, "Well, hold on, hold 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 on. Have we not?" And and you know what it made me think of a little bit. Mm. And in War of the Worlds, there's that scene where the priest character, who's like the dad of like the main love interest or whatever, um, basically at one point in the movie says, why haven't, we, why haven't we tried to communicate with them? Right. And then obviously, you know, there's that like whole moment or whatever where he like goes up to them, like saying a him or something and he gets zapped and blows up. This movie, they literally start off with that in almost that exact same way, but played so differently and it's not like overly dramatic. It's just played like really like weird, and like why are you doing this? This is clearly stupid, and <laughs> and they all get killed for it. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 kind of wacky w- with that. It's actually really funny too. Like the real heroes in this movie are like the like the lower class, like the lower classes of of people, right? And they're not, you know. Like I was reading a review on Letterboxd with like all the all the capitalists and politicians get zapped or destroyed, and, <laughs> and like the people are like the millionaires or whatever. But it's just like you know who ends up saving the day? Like 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 service workers, uh, Jim Brown, a little old lady, uh, Tom Jones. Oh, Tom Jones, <laughs> Tom Jones. Listen, listen, Tom Jones. It was funny that you thought that it was like gonna be a cameo, but it turns out it was a whole like role. After he shows up. Oh my gosh. I was like, what? <laughs> it's the greatest thing. Oh my God. And like, he like becomes like part of this team. It's like him, Jim Brown, Annette Benning, and then like for a quick second, Danny DeVito, who plays like just this random character. <laughs> like, no, like, like when everyone else is worried about the Martians, he's just worried about, I think he lives in the casino. Cause I don't think he's actually even changed his clothes the entire movie. You just watch it. And he, all he wants to do is gamble. Like they're getting chased by Martians and Danny DeVito's like, Oh my God, Tom Jones, you know, you're Tom Jones. It ain't on you, Can I get an autograph? Yeah, or like everyone else is watching like the the really important news report, and they're all looking very serious. It's like, hey, hey, let the good times roll. Or something, <laughs> he's something just like, like that. <laughs> he's like shooting craps. He's like, am I the only one shooting craps here? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Oh, but it just it, uh, it just shows just how awful like all these characters are but like and it's all done purposefully and it's all so funny oh oh can i say can i can i can i mention one of my other favorite like side characters yes mitch oh my god oh the oh the the secret service guy yes yes mitch another good dude (laughs) one of my favorite scenes is like they're trying to escape the martians it's just like 
Oh, we, we can't go in here. They're having a tour. <laughs> Hold on. We can't go in here. There's a tour coming. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. I was oh. howling at that. <laughs> it's the greatest thing. I just love all the like little moments. One of my favorite uh, characters is probably the, the, the grandma, the little old lady. That, oh, uh, yeah. She's so sweet. She saves the world. Yeah. And it's because she just likes uh uh slit slit Whitman or whatever what is what's his name so, what's it <laughs> again Slim Whitman's Slim. Indian love call and all it goes is like that's <laughs> like the whole song I loved the the grandma it just like almost how oblivious she was to everything. <laughs> like like there's that scene when she's listening to the music and you see the martians coming up behind her with a giant ray gun getting ready to vaporize her and the rest of the old people in the in the old folks home her grandson who's also kind of a hero in this movie the inception dude comes in to save the day at the last minute just by pulling the cord and like the music plays and their heads blow up and she just looks at him and goes richie i think these guys are very sick <laughs> yeah that was great <laughs> like i think it might be my music but speaking of that character like admittedly like it's no it's no secret that you know tim burton has basically gotten to this point in his life where he he his style and his way of telling stories has become its own genre to the point where like his own movies feel cliched now mm-hmm. because you know that's what he's gonna do right so like there there are tim burton type characters in this movie like for example, the Inception guy, I think his name's Lucas Haas, I think is the actor. Yeah. He plays like the kind of like loner outcast 90s style grungy looking kid. He's he's super nice and quiet and awkward and his family's kind of mean to him. Um then you have Natalie Portman who's basically Winona Ryder if if she wasn't if she was uh if she wasn't a goth. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> from uh from uh Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. And but she does it she does it pretty well and of course they end up together at the end of the movie it's like a romance you know of course the two awkward teens end up together for sure there are definitely moments in the movie that are very like typical tim burton even just the the way the aliens look like yeah it's very much the the baseball card or not the the top cards or whatever but there's there's still an essence of tim burton in there in the style and the way that he does things and the way that everything's designed and the music oh my god can we talk about the music for a second? For sure. Of all the scores that Danny Elfman has done for Tim Burton's movies, I feel like this is one of my favorites. I really like the score for this one. It was very good. The liberal use of the theremin was amazing. Mm. And like the just like the like that. That's like the like it almost had like a like a and it, like it was just growing in intensity and then like the chorus coming in. Oh yeah. It just reminds me that like Danny Elfman has been doing some pretty great scores over the years not that everyone is great there's definitely times i watch a movie with his music and i go this just sounds like he pulled this out of a out of a box somewhere it was like i'm just i just don't want to write anything but i like this (laughs) but uh, i think he did that with justice league admittedly (laughs) Uh, but no i think i think uh bars attacks is definitely a great example and it and and it it really adds to like we were saying like that 50s aesthetic that the movie tried to evoke Mm. like to add to Mm -hmm. the the whole like satire of everything but no this movie is freaking wild what i really appreciate with this movie is i feel like we were talking about like christopher like christopher nolan earlier when we talked about the batman how they try to 
mm-hmm. you know, sort of take away the comic booky appeal of something. Uh-huh. With this, it, th- with this, there, there's no. It's not like other some other alien invasion movies where they try to have like a lot, like a, you know, like a real life logic to it or whatever. This feels like its own world. Oh yeah, and it feels just like. Yeah, that these are flying saucers. And yes, that ramp is rolling out like a tongue. Oh yes, Sarah Jessica Parker's head is now on a dog. Not not just any dog, a chihuahua. And and, and what, probably one of the most awkward but like kind of amazing scenes is that uh, scene with uh, her head attached to the chihuahua dog. And then you have Pierce Brosnan with his severed head and this like weird contraption. And then they're just flirting. <laughs> like, like, like they're like 15 years old. Like, listen, I just want you to know that when you were on my talk show and you were flirting, I just want you to know that I liked it. And he's like, oh, you did? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're a severed head and like a weird contraption. I don't think that should be your main concern right now. <laughs> do you know who did the voice of the Martians? I actually do not. Do you know? Frank Welker. I'm not surprised at all. That's amazing. Frank Welker, for those of you who don't know him, well, he's been in basically everything you've ever seen in your life ever. Look him up. Scooby-Doo um. being a prime <laughs> one. I mean, he was the voice of Fred Jones for years. He did Scooby-Doo himself. He still is. He still is in, like, a lot of the other things. I mean, obviously, he didn't He didn't voice Fred in Scoob, but, like, on the TV shows and things, he'll still voice Fred. Oh, yeah. And a lot of those animated movies that they that they do too, which is wild. So many different uh, voices. I'm trying to think what else uh, to to think about with this one. It, it I enjoyed it more than I thought it was going to. It makes me feel good because, like I said, I was just excited to show you a movie. Mm. And so, like when it ends up being a movie that you actually enjoy, I don't know whether or not you like loved it that you want to watch it again or anything. But at least I know that you enjoyed it. So I'm like, yes, two for two. <laughs> part of me like almost wanted maybe more of a focus on something rather than just like the it is sporadic i'll agree with that you know like like again like i was saying like the, the really silly like thing i was suggesting earlier but I, I get that that's just like that kind of movie you have like that huge cast and all that mm-hmm. it's tricky that's probably my main my main gripe out of anything it's like okay if you have something run with some you know run with something specific maybe touch on a few things here and there but then again you don't want this thing to, to turn to like a two and a half hour epic no. that's not what this is this is a this is a satire you know effectively and you don't want it to be that long i mean what is, what does it run like 100 minutes this thing it's a fairly short movie i think it's like an hour and 45 minutes well, like a comedy or like a satire you don't want it running like as like an epic length no you, you don't want it, that a four hour cut of mars attacks i Unless it was focused on Jim Brown and his family, maybe. All right, listen, Jim Brown, okay, we had this conversation uh, while we were watching the movie. Jim Brown in this movie should be included in the uh, top ten characters who can defeat Thanos while Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet. There, I said it. Hot take, right there, right there, Jim Brown. Listen, it's not even that much of a hot take, it's just people just can't accept the truth that Jim Brown, even today I think Jim Brown could totally beat (laughs) Thanos while Thanos is using the gauntlet. And actually, that's another thing I'll, I'll say is when I was at D23, at the D23 Pavilion, when they were showcasing like ESPN Plus and all that stuff, they actually, they were interviewing Jim Brown there. So I was like, you know, 30 feet away from Jim Brown. Well, I mean, listen, you know, you know where I live. Uh, Jim Brown is a national treasure because he was on. Oh, for sure. He was, he was on the Cleveland Browns. That was just like big thing. My dad, I think my dad loves him. 
I don't think he's had any controversies to make my dad not love him, but I don't know. I don't really know much about sports or football. I just know that Jim Brown is kind of a national treasure. I think he was even in Cleveland when the, the Cavaliers won their the championship, which was like a big thing because Cleveland doesn't really ever win anything. I know we got close in the World Series with the with uh, Cleveland Indians or whatever. But again, getting away from sports because I don't mm. care. Um, <laughs> Jim Brown Jim is what Brown we care about. We care about. Folks, that's what our, our, our Here's point is. Here's the thing. Is. All right, Jim Brown, first off, is one of the few likable characters in this movie. Yes. Second of all, his wife is Pam Greer, who's a legend in her own right. Uh, hashtag love Pam Greer. She, like I said, she's a legend. She's a star in her own right. Um, the fact that uh, she plays his wife in the movie. She has one of the best like parenting scenes in this movie. Like it's 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 oh like yeah. there's this whole scene where because she, she's a bus driver in the city and she's uh, driving around. I think it's in New York in uh, Washington D.C. and uh, she's driving around. She sees her kids playing hooky, uh, playing that video game, and she literally just goes. She's like, we need to make an unscheduled stop. That just like pulls the pulls the bus <laughs> over, and then the kids go like, oh no, it's mom. <laughs> <laughs> then she literally like is just like she pulls like her like great mom tactics by the way so great mom tactics just going like listen i'm not gonna yell at you just come here just come here and then they're like okay and like now get on the bus <laughs> the best part about that scene though is when the kids get on the bus and everybody claps for her yes <laughs> <laughs> she's like you get in the back of the bus and i'm not gonna hear another word out of you to hear me and then everyone's like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> and you're like, Pam Greer, Mom of the Year, put it in the listings, make it so. I want I want Jim Brown with his certification that he can defeat Thanos, and Pam Greer is Mom of the Year. I want it. Um, absolutely. Oh, I was just looking at the credits, randomly speaking, which Danny DeVito's character is credited as Rude Gambler, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's so that's so accurate. Speaking speaking of short, funny comedian like legends, I have to talk about Martin Short for a second mm -hmm. because he's he's because like of all the actors in this movie, amongst I would probably say like Sarah Jessica Parker, who's kind of a she's been in a couple movies that Tim has done. Obviously, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito has worked with him a lot. Uh, Martin Short is another one of those actors that Tim has worked with a few times. And he plays this, like, he's like a PR guy. He's almost like the Kellyanne Conway. He's the press secretary. <laughs> you know, he comes off like he's, like, trying to be, like, doing the right thing, but he's so sleazy about it. And then any other time we see him, he's picking up prostitutes. And then there's that iconic scene. This is, I was telling you, this is, like, the iconic scene in the movie where um, Lisa Marie, who was, I think it was Tim Burton's then-girlfriend, uh, who was, like, in a... But, like, that's kind of one an another one of Tim's things that he likes to put his, like, significant others in movies. So, like, he dated, obviously, famously Helena Bottom Carter, and she was in, like, every movie at that point that, <laughs> that he directed after the fact. Um, so Lisa Marie was kind of, like, the first one, and so he, she was in a bunch of movies. She plays this really creepy, I guess, like, with some sex appeal, but just ultimately really creepy, like, alien in disguise. Like, Martian in disguise or something. Yeah. Like, it's so, it's so weird. She's, like, chewing gum uh, the whole time. Her mouth doesn't open. She doesn't blink. And she has this massive wig that I guess apparently left, like, a really bad scar on her head. Oh, wow. But uh, it's all for the art. And then this dress that is skin tight and didn't have any seams or buttons or zippers or anything. So she had to be sewn into the dress. Jesus. 
and you just see this you see this look and it's so surreal and and it's just like how do you not know that's a that's not a martian but martin sheen or martin short is so blinded by his sleazy perviness that he deserves everything that comes to him after that mm-hmm. i know that scene is uh something i joke about with our mutual friend gifford who uh has constantly told me that one of the reasons I think he I don't I think he said to me that the reason he doesn't watch Mars Attacks is because the gliding lady scares him too much and I, I kind of get it. Eh, uh, you know what? That's 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 fair. Uh, honestly, shout out to Gif. I love you, Gifford. I also love you too. It's a fun it's a fun movie. A- admittedly, you know, I actually think it's a it's a good time. Again, came out in 1996, so same year as Independence Day. Independence Day, as we know, became a gigantic hit. Listen, we wouldn't have Will Smith without Independence Day. I mean, yeah, you can say Fresh Prince, but I think Independence Day was what really... We, would, we wouldn't have Will Smith as we know him today. With Mars Attacks came out afterwards and cost a lot of money. I mean, this, including marketing, this thing cost the studio $100 million and only made $101 million worldwide. It literally made a million dollars more than it's than its own than the money it spent this is actually if i remember correctly this is actually the first commercial and critical failure that tim burton has done Mm -hmm. i mean we look at it we look at him now and obviously he's kind of a mixed bag admittedly and i say that as somebody who still enjoys his work and loves him but you look at mars attacks and it's it kind of makes sense because it it's not even that it's just really weird or that maybe it leans too much into the, the what it's kind of making fun of which is you know that's that's the one thing you always have to tiptoe around when you're doing a spoof or a parody or a satire is this idea that you don't want to you don't want to end up being too much like what you're making fun of that it just seems hypocritical mm-hmm. you know it's kind of it's kind of the reason why scream 3 is like probably the worst of the screams in my opinions because it just becomes like a typical slasher movie but i think what made it worse at least in the case of tim burton is that prior to this movie he did ed wood i know it's one of your favorite movies as far as his work is concerned it's my favorite of his i I would say yeah it was a critical success you know i uh martin landau was nominated i think he won the best supporting actor oscar he won he won paying for playing uh bell lugosi mm-hmm. it was funny just because like if you know the the filmography of ed wood like the guy was known for his really bad but entertaining science fiction like alien invasion type movies like plan nine from outer space was like his probably his biggest movie yeah it's his most famous work and i just believe like most if i remember most of the reviews that came out were like here's tim burton who crafts this almost like amazing movie that sadly didn't make a lot of money at the box office but went on to be like a critical darling and then uh instead of just moving on with his career and making like say like sleepy hollow next or something he decides to just emulate ed wood a little bit so people were kind of like that's a bit of a weird move you know just to, to make the movie about the guy that made weird somewhat bad but somewhat entertaining science fiction movies and then go ahead and make one yourself like I, th- I do feel like a lot of people looked at that and just said that's kind of a weird move. Maybe he was just really influenced by Ed Wood or something. I also think, too, that a lot of people sort of just kind of lump Ed Wood. And this is the other part of the problem, too, is we talk about War of the Worlds, and people were under the mi- misconception that War of the Worlds is just like a bunch of the other B-movies from the 50s, which 
is not the case because they spent a lot of money on War of the Worlds. Right. And yes, you could say, oh, well, it's kind of weird he's making like a, you know, a, B, a quote unquote B movie. But just to sort of just lump it into this category of Ed Wood and all these other things is kind of, you know, I, I think you're, you're kind of um, you're missing the big picture, I guess. I would agree with that. But that's just me. Because with all these movies, there, there are, you're definitely going to get like things like Plan 9 from Outer Space and you're you know, Bride of the Monsters and stuff like that. But then sometimes you, you get you get things, you know, like Forbidden Planet or The War of the Worlds, obviously, and, and other productions. Like, not all these things, like, people think about the 50s, like, science fiction movies and think, well, all of them must have been just terrible, right? Right. And that's not true. No. I mean, we criticize the ending of The War of the Worlds, but that was certainly an A-list production by all standards. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, to the point, you know, where you were telling, I think you were telling me this with the sound effects for uh, the War of the Worlds. They wanted to use some of them for Mars Attacks. Yeah, I just read that today, actually. I thought that was actually kind of interesting. And Paramount said no. Well, you know, Paramount says no to Warner Brothers a lot, as we know. (laughs) (laughs) It all started. (laughs) It all started with Mars Attacks. They're like, listen, they ask us anything again, please say no. Jump to, like... A decade, like at least a decade plus later. Listen, so we know Henry Cavill is working on the Mission Impossible Fallout. We kind of need him for Justice League. You think he could shave his mustache? They're like, no, <laughs> we're not doing it. <laughs> He's contractually obligated. <laughs> I guess with with this move with these movies is that with both of them, I think there's more than meets your preconceived notions i suppose because i was yeah again i didn't expect i didn't expect to hate this movie but i certainly wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as i did mm-hmm. with mars attacks and with war of the worlds again as i stated before it's easy so easy for people just to lump this one in with the other like really cheap really bad and i mean entertaining admittedly but some of them are really bad and really cheap movies. And War of the Worlds is certainly, not, I, I would say, neither one of those things. I mean, I think, again, ending aside, I think it is really, is a classic. And the special effects and the, the groundbreaking innovations that it made really um, stand tall today. And Mars Attacks is a lot of fun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> I think one thing I look at with these two, at least with these two movies, is this idea of, like you were saying, like, they aren't just, t- like, the typical alien invasion type movie. Like, agree with what they're saying or not, they have something to say. And they're definitely movies that, and maybe some degree, might reflect certain things. Like, you look at Mars Attacks, and um, as far as its relevancy in 96, I was five or six years old i i i wouldn't have i couldn't tell you how relevant it was i watch it now and i'm like it's cartoonish but it's so realistic it's it's <laughs> you, watch, yeah. you just watch it and you're like oh no why is this so real <laughs> what is happening and then uh like with uh with war of the worlds it had something to say so i like i like when um, when people make these kind of like genre movies and intentionally or not, whether or not you agree with it, I like that they take that and they use it to say to say something, which I think all the best art, um, maybe not so much on a on a 
direct level, each some of the best art has like something to say at least, or at least art in general has should have something to say because it's from a particular vision. Sure. So I like I, I that's probably the one thing that I would probably take away from both of these movies. Very well stated, and as you as always, this was a lot of fun to record, folks. What are some of your favorite alien invasion movies or even like 50s science fiction movies? And, uh, you know, what what are your thoughts on these two movies? Let us know in our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Please do. Check out our YouTube channel where we're planning on uploading some of the older episodes on our YouTube channel as well as exclusive content in the near future. So definitely check us out there. Look out for that, please. And also, as always, thank you, Brian from Idaho. Really just a huge supporter of what we do. We cherish uh, everything that you've done for us. You've brought us closer together as not just two dudes, but two friends. And um, just Brian from Idaho, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, hope everything's safe out there, dude. With that said, folks, we're going to hop in our flying saucers and go back to our home planet. Check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone. All two of dudes. Thank listeners today. Their funny pod show include the media of socials for the fundamental truth. Armstrong's creation of music for Turing tests, intelligence in the artificial, like a robot.